brethren. Brother Bob here again. This podcast topic is Believers Are a Joy of the Lord. I'm sure that some of my listeners complain or grumble about my podcast messages, believing that I'm always sharing stuff that seems negative or unloving to them. Sorry if you feel that way, but the reason that you feel that way is because you're listening to my podcast with your feelings and not your Bible brain. Listen, I'm a fundamental realist Bible believer. And being that I'm a realist Bible believer, I believe what the Bible says and don't allow my feelings to dictate what biblical truth is. Now, obviously, much of the scriptures, commandments, and teachings are not for the church age. Having spiritual discernment will open your eyes to which ones are. If you're always wanting to hear soft, kissy-huggy, snowflakey, spiritual, pampering words, go listen to the podcast by people like Joel Olstein, Mike Warren, or the Reverend Cephalo Dollar. I've had supposed faithful men of God, believers who profess to love the Lord and His Word, people one would assume would be encouraged by the sound biblical truths that I share for the church, accuse me of being cynical or mean-spirited. Funny thing is, Many of the believers of Christ's day thought the same way about Yeshua Christ. Oh, they loved Christ when he fed them and when he healed them. But they hated him when he started teaching them what they needed to hear. Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. For many years, the good Lord has put it on my heart and in my mind to tell his people what they need to hear and not what they want to hear. Our Heavenly Father is up to his eyeballs and spineless, feckless shepherds who are more concerned about pleasing the sheep than pleasing him. So now that I got that off my mind, let me share some words that should encourage all believers, whether they're walking righteously or not. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which are the witnesses from Hebrews chapter 11, by the way, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance a race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Yeshua Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits on the right hand of the throne of God. For this podcast, I'm going to focus on the words, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. When the great I Am decided to become a human God sacrifice for the purpose of redeeming mankind for the crimes, i.e. sins, they were committing against him, he didn't do that begrudgingly or disdainfully. He did it out of joy. Just think about it for a moment. Let that concept sink in. Here's the all-powerful, all-sufficient, all-knowing creator God of all gods looking down from his throne room on high at a group of rebellious, sinful, whiny beings that he created And he sees a possible way to find joy out of this group of hopeless sinners. And even though he is a loving God, he is also a holy and just God. And he knew that these disobedient, ungrateful sinners deserved to go to hell and pay for the crimes that they had committed against him. And being that he is God Almighty, it wasn't even possible for him to simply overlook or turn a blind eye to the sins of all those hell-bound creatures he had committed. So being that the Lord is holy and just, he knew that there was no way he could simply ignore all the sins that all these earthlings were committing against him. So he came up with an ingenious plan. He would choose, out of love, to become a Redeemer God. He would pay the price that these sin-cursed creatures owed him. And by doing this, the great I Am would be satisfying his attributes of holiness and justness. However, it's important to understand that the good Lord is not going to become mankind's Redeemer 
just to satisfy his attributes of holiness and justice. He's choosing to do this because he sees redeemed people as a joy to his heart and mind. The NAS Bible reads, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. A different Bible version reads, Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. The English word joy that's found in these verses is actually the Greek word which means delight. Just imagine it. Sinful, whiny, ungrateful humans somehow becoming a delightful sight in the presence of the great I Am. Now keep in mind that even as the Lord envisions himself becoming mankind's redeemer, he also envisions that he's going to have to go through some genuine suffering and sorrow in order to make it possible for this group of disobedient, whiny, grumbling brats to become a delight in his eyes. Now again, the good Lord knows that in order to redeem these sin-cursed people of their unholiness, someone has to pay for all the crimes they have committed against him. And being that God is holy and just, only a holy, sinless, and just, righteous payment would be acceptable to redeem mankind of their sins. And the only being that is totally sinless and righteous is the Lord himself. So the good Lord, well aware that he would have to go through some serious pain and suffering if he was to save these people from their sins, chose the path of pain and suffering instead of simply leaving us to spend our eternity in hell. That, my friend, is how much the Lord loves us. Again, you need to let it sink in that it wasn't just his need for holiness and justness that took him to Calvary. It was his love. President, the good Lord doesn't need us humans in order to have a purpose in life. God is the all-sufficient one. That means that the good Lord needs nothing but himself to satisfy his existence. Now, you need to really be moved by the fact that the Lord wasn't going to go through this sorrow and suffering just to rescue those who wanted rescuing. He was going to choose to go through all this pain and suffering, realizing that most would reject his love. For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he chose to allow his payment for mankind's sins to be rejected by most in order to rescue a few. However, those few who would be saved, however, those few who would choose to be saved would become a delight to his heart. So let's spend a little time expounding on just who it was who was hanging on those spikes in order to redeem mankind of their sins. Philippians 2.5 Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Yeshua Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or hung on to, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, yes, death on a cross. Everyone listening to this podcast needs to let it sink in that this Savior who went to the cross for our sins wasn't just another lesser God or a piece of God or even a distant cousin of the great I Am God. Yeshua Christ was, is the great I Am of the Old Testament. Now, this concept is where a lot of believers get confused. However, it is absolutely essential that you understand that the God that was hanging on those nails to pay for mankind's sins is the same God who walked with Adam and Eve and who walked and talked with Noah and Moses. Now listen carefully. Contrary to what many of you are taught, there was no God or form of God known as Yeshua or Jesus in the Old Testament. Yeshua Christ didn't come into existence until he was formed in Mary's womb. The Old Testament prophecies give us a futuristic glimmer of a coming Redeemer God. But even then, mankind did not find out who this Redeemer God really was until Mary and Joseph were told by an angel of the Lord to name their son Yeshua, not Jesus, Yeshua, which means God saves. 
Now, I'm not going to get sidetracked to what I share next, but please, please, please do some research on your own and find out why our Savior's name is not Jesus. I have done numerous podcasts on this topic. Please check them out. You do shame to God's name when you call him Jesus. Anyways, as I've already shared, the good Lord in ages past knew that the people he created on planet Earth would rebel against him and become hopelessly lost sinners who deserve hell. Again, side note, just for the record, the good Lord does not send anyone to hell. People choose to go to hell when they choose to reject God's free gift of eternal salvation. Now, do all humans deserve to go to hell to pay for their crimes, i.e. sins against God? Absolutely. But again, God's love for mankind allowed him to find a loophole for sinners to avoid going to hell. It is critical that people understand that it was the Lord himself hanging on those spikes as he paid for mankind's sins. Christ told the Pharisees that unless you believe I am him, I am God, you will die in your sins. Part of our free gift salvation process comes with the stipulation that a lost person understands that it was God himself who was paying for their sins. Now, it is also important to understand that even though Yeshua Christ is God, he is also a real human being. He's 100% God, 100% man. When the good Lord chose to become a God sacrifice for mankind's sins, he was quite aware that no one can actually or literally kill God when he's in all his power and glory. So his ingenious plan to save mankind from their sins involved him choosing to leave all his eternal, endless power and glory in heaven and to become a human being. Now, I did a podcast explaining how the deity of God works. So I'm not going to delve into all aspects of that again. So again, pay attention. Look up the podcast where I talk about the Trinity of God. However, I will say this much. Our Bible teaches us that God is a triune God. That means that God is made up of three parts, a body, a soul, and a spirit. After the Lord had finished creating plants, animals, stars, moon, and sun, he said in Genesis 1.26, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Please notice the plurality of God in these words. After creating all those stars and mountains and bugs and fishes and dinosaurs, etc., etc., the Lord decides to put a little personal touch on an animal known as a human. He decides to create a creature made in his likeness. This likeness to God is not speaking about man's physical nature being like God, but that humans would be created with a spiritual and moral nature like God, which means that our minds, emotions, and wills will be like God's. The body he designed for us gives us expression, gives us the ability to discern spiritual truth, and the ability to choose or to not choose moral righteousness. God did a unique thing with the human animal, he created us with the ability to have fellowship with him. Even after the fall of Adam and Eve, humans are special creatures, which have the capability of becoming precious in the eyes of God and who are specially protected by the Lord through his laws and societal disciplines. So the Lord creates a creature with a will and a personality and with the ability to reason and be logical. And most importantly, with the triune body, similar to the form of the Godhead. Now, a big difference between our human three-part bodies and the Lord's is that the Lord can choose to separate his three parts whenever he wants to. And he has them do different things at different times. The best example is that and found in the Old Testament where we read about the Lord coming down to earth where he takes on a human form and he talks to people. Well, that part of God's triune body, the body part, the part the Bible calls the Word of God, chose to set his heavenly power and authority aside in order to become a human so they could suffer and die to pay for mankind's sins. And again, why would he do that? Well, the Bible verse tells us, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. As the Lord looked out 
from that cross, he realized that over the next thousands of years, there were going to be a small remnant of people who really were going to believe he was going through all of his pain and suffering to save them from hell. And the thought of that brought joy or delighted the Lord. He knew he was going to have a group of people that he could spend eternity in fellowship with because their sins were about to be redeemed by his sacrifice at Calvary. So let me hit you with another heart-wrenching but empathetic biblical fact about our God. Those humans who would accept God's payment for their sins, i.e. who wanted to restore their presently broken spiritual relationship with the Lord, brings such joy to the Father's heart that he himself, the Father, found joy in seeing his only Son suffer and die in order to redeem a presently unredeemable people. I hope you're grasping what I just said. The Bible is literally telling us that our Heavenly Father was delighted to see his Son suffer and die for mankind's sins. Brethren, that's how much the Lord loves people. This dear, dear price that Yeshua Christ was going to have to pay to redeem people of their sins should also remind us how serious God takes it when we disobey those commandments he has given to us in the church age. To sin against God is a serious thing. In fact, it's so serious, it took him to go to the cross to pay for those sins. In the Old Testament, the temple must have been a disgusting sight with all those dead animals and the blood and the maggots and everything around. It wasn't a pretty sight, and that's how the Lord wanted it to be. He wanted people to understand how serious it is when his people sin against him. All them dead animals, all them sacrifices were were a way for the Lord to remind his people how serious it is when they sin or commit crimes against the Lord. Listen to the words that I share next very carefully and delight in the fact that our opportunity to be eternally redeemed from our sins through the death of God's Son brought more joy to the heart of our Heavenly Father than keeping his Son alive did. Isaiah 53, verse 10 through 11. But the Lord was pleased. The word pleased here means delighted. The Lord was pleased to crush his son, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a gift offering, he will see his offspring. And Yeshua Christ did see that offspring. He did see them people even hanging on that cross and suffering. It says, for the joy set before him, he looked out from that cross and he knew that there was going to be a remnant of people out there in the world in the next coming thousands of years who would accept his sacrifice as a payment for their sins. It goes on in Isaiah to say, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he being Christ, he will see it. He will see the remnant and be satisfied. And my servant will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Now, even though it pleased the Lord that his son would volunteer to suffer and die to redeem mankind from their sins, I don't want you to think that Yahweh wasn't also saddened that his son had to go through lots of pain and suffering in order to redeem whiny, ungrateful, disobedient people. What I'm going to share next is a comparable scenario to what I believe God the Father of Christ went through. When most parents hear that their son is choosing to be enlisted into the military, especially in serious combat times, their initial emotional reactions to hearing that their son has enlisted are both joy and sorrow. Joy because it pleases them to see that their son is volunteering to go and do some serious fighting for freedom and liberty. And sorrow because they realize that there's a pretty good chance that even though their son is choosing to do an honorable thing, there's a good chance he's not coming back home alive. Again, this is not a perfect analogy for what went on between a father and a son, but it's close. Yeshua Christ knew what he was signing up for when he chose to become mankind's sacrifice 
And because he chose to do that, he pleased the Father. Now, brethren, maybe you were not aware of the scenario of God becoming a God Savior for mankind's sins was something that had been planned long before humans were even created. Creator God knew, even before he created us humans, the one creature that he created in his likeness, that that one creature that they hoped to have an eternal, sinless, spiritual relationship with would choose to break down that intimate relationship through sin. Again, remember, sins are crimes against God. And yet, the good Lord still chose to create us, knowing that down the road a few thousand years, they, the triune Godhead, had a master plan to once again and forevermore redeem us sinful, cut off from God humans. And again, I share this so that you can truly understand how much the Lord loved us. And brethren, please, please, please let it sink into your brains that it's not only those lost people who get saved and who become children of God that the Lord loves. He loves all humans. Yeshua Christ didn't just die for good or people who sin less, worse than others. Sadly, there are many even in the church today who have a self-centered, prideful attitude thinking that they are not as bad a sinner as some of those lost people out there. Brethren, the sins of gossip and slander will send a person to hell just as easily as the sins of rape and murder will. And let this next thought sink in. It's not just the sins that we literally commit that send us to hell. It's the sins we think about doing. Brethren, this is why there's not one single person on planet Earth who will stand in the presence of a holy and just God and say, I'm not a bad a sinner as they were. I deserve to go to heaven. Anyways, I digress. Ezekiel 18.23 Do I get pleasure in seeing wicked people die, declares the Lord? No, I do not. Rather, I wish that they would turn from their ways and live. Isaiah 53 goes on to say, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are all healed. So in closing, let me go through these verses one more time. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Yeshua Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits down at the right hand of God at the throne of God. Listen to me. If you truly are a blood-bought, born-again, eternally saved child of God through faith and the free gift gospel of Christ, be excited and blessed knowing that you are a joy to the Father. Please believe that even though your life might be falling apart around you and or you seem like you're all alone in the world, understand that you are a delight in the eyes of your Father. And be encouraged and strengthened knowing that your Heavenly Father loves you so much that He sent His only Son to suffer and die to redeem you, i.e. rescue you, from the hell that we all deserve. Knowing that, I would encourage all the brethren find joy in their own hearts, knowing how much their Father loves them, to now go out and show the Father how much they love Him because of what He's done for them by learning in your scriptures what it is that pleases the Father and then do it. John 14, 23, Yeshua Christ replied to His followers, All who love me will do as I say. And if they do as I say, my Father will love them too, and we will come and make our abode with them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey my words. Please understand that when Christ says, all who love me will do as I say, he, Yeshua Christ, was not telling believers that they only needed to keep or obey the literal words, the teachings and the commandments that he shared in the gospel, or only try to keep the Ten Commandments. 
Brethren, Yeshua's Christ's words are all the words, commandments, and teachings that we find in the Bible that are applicable for the church age. And there are literally hundreds of those teachings and commandments in the church epistles alone. Now listen to me carefully. All believers are a joy to the Lord. And that's because, in spite of how well or bad their spiritual walk is, it still brings joy to our Father's heart that he has children in the family of God who were snatched out of Satan's family and now belong to his family. However, even though all newborns are a joy to their parents, that joy can turn into sorrow and disappointment as that little bundle of joy grows up and turns into a rebellious, disobedient brat. The scriptures are clear. Even though the Lord loves all his children, he is more pleased with those children of his who choose to learn and then obey those teachings and commandments that he has set aside for his church-aged children. I'm sure it brought joy to God's heart to redeem and rescue all those people out of Egypt, and yet the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, yet the Lord was not pleased with most of those people that he rescued out of Egypt, and their dead bodies were scattered throughout the wilderness. It's because they grumbled and they complained and they were involved in idolatry. Many of them died. In fact, out of all those millions of believers who came out of Egypt, only two, Joshua and Caleb, made it into the promised land. I share this because even though it is a good thing to be a joy of the Lord, that's not the same thing as being a pleasing child of the Lord. John 15, 9. I, Christ, have loved you even as a father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way as I have loved you. For there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. In closing, let me try to put this comparison between the holy and just God judge of the scriptures and the compassionate Savior God of the scriptures into a word picture. Picture the great I am, the one and only holy and righteous God judge sitting on his God throne and looking down at helpless, hopeless, guilty sinners. Rightly accusing these sinners of willfully choosing to break his commandment. And then sentencing them to hell because he is, after all, a God of perfect and righteous justice. And then picture this holy and righteous God judge. Picture him standing up and taking off his God judge robe and walking down to the bailiff's desk and telling the bailiff that he himself was going to pay for the crimes these sinners had committed. That, my friend, is basically what God did for humans. As a holy and just God, he found all humans guilty of sinning against him and sentenced them to what they deserve, an eternity in hell, paying for their crimes against him. And then he took off his God robe and put on his Savior robe and volunteered to pay for the sins of all those guilty sinners. That, my friend, shows how much God loves us. And the Bible tells us that those who accept him as the Redeemer God are a delight to his eyes. Brethren, don't be content to just be a joy of the Lord. Strive to be a pleasing joy unto the Lord as you walk and talk with him through your obedience to his word. Your true friend in Christ, Brother Bob.